0: Hello, this is ScriptLock, where we talk about storytelling and video games. I'm Max Folkman. And I'm Nick Folkman. Uh, today's episode is sponsored again by Backlight Gem. If you are a narrative designer or writer in the world of video games, Gem is a powerful tool that empowers you to bring your stories to life by streamlining the narrative design process from ideation to release, making it a go-to solution for studios of all sizes from indie to AAA. With GEM, you can write your, you can write using a screenplay-style editor while also structuring and visualizing your stories, branching pathways, and mapping out key narrative elements. It's like having a blueprint for your stories. GEM is super scalable, so you can create stories of any size and scope, whether it's an epic NPC-filled RPG or commentary for a sports game. GEM is also highly collaborative and it integrates easily into development pipelines, meaning your core narrative vision can stay intact across the development process. If you're interested, you can visit gem.backlight.co to discover how gem can transform your storytelling process thank you again guys today's guests are natalie watson and allie hennessy natalie is a producer at half mermaid and most recently worked on immortality before then she was a producer host and writer at vice's waypoint r.i.p a (laughs) content and experience manager at play by we and she can also currently be heard on the fantastic star wars podcast a more civilized age Allie Hennessy is a producer at the Voxel Agents, a game director at Lemonade Games, currently working on Mystiques, and the production director at League of Geeks, working on Solium Infernum, and they recently put out Jump Light Odyssey. Before then, she was also a senior producer and development manager at Mighty Kingdom, expert product manager at Wargaming, and game runner on Rumu at Robot House. Also, as always, anything I say today does not represent the views or opinions of Sony or Insomniac Games. And now let's get to it. Uh... First question as always is, how did both of you break into video games? So Natalie, how did you break in?
1: Um, that's a good question. I don't like my break-in story was kind of it was less of a break-in. It was more of like kind of like stepping. Sauntered in. in uh, yeah, I kind of not sauntered. <laughs> I feel like that's quite confident. Um, my first my first ever job in the games industry was working at GameStop when I was in college. I was like, very desperate to just do something in games. And I was like, oh, naturally, the first job I should have should be working at GameStop because that's going to break me into the industry. And yes. I'm going to like, I'm going to find my way in games through doing that. And in a way, I, I like, I was forced to get to know so much of like our, you know, like what's coming, what's coming next? Like what's, what's next on, um, like, what are the upcoming releases and stuff? And also being able to speak to, like, the library of the Nintendo DS or Xbox 360. Like, I would just have to, you know, the sort of confused parent coming in looking for something for their child. That became, like, a really fun, like, thing for me to, like, match make people with games that I think would they would really like. So that was kind of, like, the first technical uh uh uh, encounter with games and then um I was I had the privilege of taking a class with um Maddie Bryce uh at NYU at the NYU Game Center I went to NYU Gallatin and I had the opportunity to take some classes at the Game Center and Maddie introduced me to Waypoint and the year that I was taking a class with Maddie was the year that waypoint was looking for a live stream producer intern. And I think I was sophomore going into junior year. Um, And I was like, I had no idea there were people out there who thought about games like I was doing in school. Um, And people are out there doing it like on podcasts and for vice, like a website that I would not have expected to find that kind of games writing on. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but somehow I need to f- find my way uh, into working with Austin and Rob and Patrick and Danielle. And Austin took a chance on me and and gave me the internship. And from there, um, I like discovered the world of games journalism and and consequently like discovered a lot. You know, built out. My, uh, understanding of indie games, like what, what, what does it mean to make? I, I was an indie game player, but not to the extent that I am now. Mm. Um, so that was just like a huge education in so many different ways about the world and industry of making games. And it made me want to one day, you know, I had no idea when, but one day be on the other side of, of things. Um, and then I kind of, I eventually found my way there. So, but that's kind of the break-in story. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so then when you were in school and going to Waypoint, was your plan to go into game journalism? Yeah,
1: plan the plan was like to do academia, actually. I really wanted to do, to pursue game studies in academia. I wanted to like just stay in school as long as possible. Um, and then writing for Waypoint and doing stuff for Waypoint made me realize that I had such a special opportunity to communicate with uh, an an audience directly about the way that I was thinking instead of just my peers in my college classes or whatever. So um, that actually kind of changed my opinion. I was like, no, I want to be able to be a part of a conversation instead of feeling like kind of tucked away in a university somewhere, which I think is extremely important work. Um, but I was, I found a lot of fulfillment in engaging with our audience and the Waypoint audiences was such a special, I mean, there's still, um, such a strong community, but it was a really, really special community to, to get to talk to. So that was kind of the, <laughs> the, the point of it all. But I, I always like kind of fantasized about m- making games, but I always kind of considered myself as like a non i was not the artist like i'm not the creative i'm not the artist so maybe i should find like a business way into it or and then i kind of discovered production i was like oh maybe being a producer could be something that i would be good at but i'm not i'm not the artist i'm not the creative so by the time i ended up uh finding half mermaid and meeting sam it was like a like i had sort of along the way collected all these little skills and different, um, experiences within the games industry that I think enabled me to, to do that job that I had never, had never done before. I had never, um, uh, been a games producer, um, and it kind of happened a lot more quickly than I. I, I didn't think that I would end up in. Ga- I was like, oh yeah, the classic like you do journalism for ten years or whatever, and then you make the switch. Over. And then you lose your job. Yeah, then you get thinking. fired. <laughs> then you get laid off. Which I was at. I saw three major layoffs while I was at Waypoint, and I was on the chopping block for at least one of them that I know of. Um, and Austin fought really hard to keep me there, which I will be forever grateful for. But. Um, yeah, I mean, I was like, I was counting my days at the point that I left Waypoint. I was like, I've narrowly escaped getting laid off. Uh, I've got to find something more sustainable, um, and that's when I made a brief tangent into doing esports um, stuff for Play by We, um, which was a business I was uh, help building for WeWork at the time that. WeWork was happening, (laughs) which just was an interesting little detour. I guess so. I think technically, yes. (laughs) Um, I have no idea. I've not kept up. Um, And then after WeWork happened, I was like, okay, I need to find my way back to journalism. Or maybe this is my chance to make the switch into game dev. And I got super lucky to be introduced to Sam. And we just had lunch together and he told me about this thing his idea he had for a game called immortality and i was like that sounds so cool let's do this this sounds great
0: (laughs) before we get to Allie, do you do you ever give any thoughts if you stuck in academia what your dissertation would have been about
1: uh i mean what game
0: would you have done it about
1: oh god what game i mean probably would have ended up doing Final Fantasy 14 eventually um, I think at the t- the school that I went to was kind of it kind of allowed you it encouraged you to do like a mini dissertation so what we had was like a colloquium um, and so my concentration which is technically my major is was called subjectivity in game space so I was really fascinated with like player identity. Um, embodiment, like, how do we, how do we tell our own stories? Like I was fascinated by games as platforms for self-expression. Um, so I think I probably would have kept going down that line of things if it was like very psychoanalytic, very,
0: (laughs) sounds great. Yeah, it was
1: fun. (laughs) I miss it a lot. I feel way dumber now than I was at that time.
0: (laughs) I think we all feel dumber, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I wanted to ask a question then. So you, you were in L- NYU Game Center or you were just like
1: I was at there? Yeah, I was at Gallatin NYU Gallatin which is their individualized study school. So everyone has to make up their own major there basically. And mm-hmm. you can take classes at any school at NYU. Okay. So I at first was pursuing uh like a science major. I wanted to be a scientist and then I quickly realized that it was not the career path for me after I did, I like did a stint in a molecular biology lab at USC when I was in high school, um, like lab assisting. And after dissecting like the 200th mouse, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna. I'll apply with this, but maybe there's another path for me out there somewhere. And then I took a random game elective, and I was like, "Oh, this thing that I do all of the time could be something I do for all the time for all of all of the more time." Um, so, so yeah. So I got I took some classes in the game center, um, and mostly like classes about. Like Maddie's class was uh, on like identity politics in games, and then I took a class with um, on uh, uh, narrative immersive Sims with Matthew Weiss. Um, and so most of the classes I took at the Game Center were like critic, like kind of more games crit type classes rather than design or like hard coding classes. Like I, I didn't really have a practical knowledge of like what it meant to make a game, but I knew a lot about how to think about games, um, which was kind of a funny funny thing to miss. I like, went to the game school and didn't take any classes on how to make a game. <laughs>
0: <But> that's okay.
1: <laughs> but I made it. You know, yeah. We're here, so it
0: worked we, out. <laughs> that was my largest assumption for years. Like, you like games, but why would anyone ever hire us? Because we can't, don't know how to make anything. Right. We don't, know, we don't know math. We don't know programming.
1: Yeah. We just know how to write stuff. Exactly. It was like such a huge, it was like a deep insecurity of mine for Mm -hmm. a really long time. And then I realized, oh, there are other things to do
2: (laughs) in games.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Allie, how did you break into games?
2: Mm, um, Yeah. So, I have just always been very strange uh, i don't know if this is a thing <laughs> in in america but like in australia there's this kind of a category of like teenager that are referred to as like the art room kids like kids that hang out in the art room instead of hanging out like in the the quadrangle during lunchtime they like go and like do their little drawings um that was me very much so and so like as a teenager i was really interested in like the internet and internet communities and that kind of thing and so I spent a lot of time just like making weird art and putting it on the internet and that led me to like the cosplay community and cool. that became like a really like all consuming hobby for me as a teenager and then, then when I graduated high school i did sort of the standard thing that you do in the state that i'm from which is like move to sydney move to the city start going to university um but i was like man i hate this like i am not i'm definitely not cut out to be an academic i have like a real um authority problem and <laughs> I I have a real issue with like people telling me stuff so i um decided to drop out of university and try to become cosplay famous on the internet, um, which my parents were really happy about. And um, it actually shockingly worked out. I got really lucky, like at the time, just due to algorithms, like the Facebook pages back when people had Facebook pages for like their, their like online personas, you know, you you could have like a personal account and then like a separate page. Um, there was a period of time that facebook introduced this like recommended pages algorithm which was just like suggesting and growing pages particularly like in the cosplay space really really quickly um and i just so happened that the that algorithm struck at exactly the right time (laughs) in my life um and i had a facebook page that blew up and so i managed to start like doing cosplay as a job um and selling Uh, you know, prints of my art and selling prints of photos and, you know, traveling around the world, working at conventions and working for um, like game companies and that kind of thing. And that's how I got exposed to the games industry. I think before then, like, (laughs) like I never really thought about the fact that games are like made by human beings. I don't know what I like, how I (laughs) thought they happened. They just kind of appeared. Um, And so then, yeah, like I just got really fortunate to start being invited to, go to things like Gamescom and like meet game developers and learn about their jobs. Um, and then my big sort of break into the industry was that I got a job working on The Witcher 3 as a community consultant because they wanted to build like a global cosplay community. Um, and I was a big Witcher fan and I'd posted about, I'd posted about The Witcher a lot, like Witcher 1 and 2. And at the time CD Projekt was quite a small team and like they're, Community manager, I think they had like two community managers at the time and one of them just happened to follow my Facebook page and was like, hey, you interested in like maybe doing some cosplay for this like new game we have coming out. Um, It's called The Witcher 3 um we Looks haven't told so them. wild i was like
1: so crazy i
2: was, like, <laughs> so I was crazy. like i'm aware of it <laughs> um and they're like i don't know if you've heard of this character um she's from the books like we haven't talked about it yet but her name's yennefer and i was like yeah, oh my god yeah, uh,
0: yeah yes i'm I, I have. i I'm
2: familiar
1: <laughs> um, Yennefer, you've heard of her <laughs> that's right that's right
2: and that sort of became my my main gig for a while was like promoting the Witcher three and traveling around with them. Um, And they were so incredibly generous to me. Like they obviously could tell that I was excited and interested in the industry side of things beyond cosplay. And so they gave me like way more opportunities than they really needed to, to just like, let me like make spreadsheets, (laughs) like do research (laughs) into community building and like what it meant, what it meant to have like, an authentic connection within online communities which like when i look back on it now was so perfect for me in my life in my journey like having been someone who's always like found a lot of solace in those kind of you know weirdo, more esoteric like online spaces um and so that happened um and that that like Credit got me my first marketing job, which was for a, (laughs) a branded leggings company. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, it was a really crazy job. (laughs) I had to to like move states, um, and our, our office was like, there was like four girls, um, I'm suddenly realizing that I'm making a game about this, as I'm saying it out loud. Like <laughs> Mystiques, <laughs> Mystiques is very much just about four girls doing a job they don't know how to do. Um, and amazing. that was very much what we were doing, like dealing with like, are we, we going to get audited for like using the, the Pac-Man license? And yeah, lots of yeah, <laughs> stories like, like legally can't tell. Um, and from there um, – One of my friends from Cosplay went to a wedding with a guy who was a producer for a game studio in Sydney that was working on a Warhammer game and he needed to hire somebody. And she was like, oh, I know someone who kind of does something like that because she had no idea what my job was and didn't know that I wasn't a producer. (laughs) Um, And so she introduced us and then um, I got on a plane. I had no money, but I got on a plane to Sydney, pretended I was still living in Sydney um, to go to this job interview, got the job. Um, and became a producer with absolutely no skills or training. <laughs>
0: nice <laughs> and um, relatable. Warhammer forty
2: k Regicide. Um, and, Hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> Great game. Uh, and then um, from there, just sort of yeah, was I was really lucky to learn on the job that it was a small, like mostly student team that had been hired by a visual effects house to start like a game development arm of their company. Um, and we we really benefited from the fact that they um, had a lot of other things, lot more important things to focus on than what the game development team were doing. Um, and we somehow just managed to like... Convince them to let us make an entire like original IP narrative game with basically no commercial appeal, um, and that game was called Brewu, which is like a game about a robot vacuum cleaner with feelings, and that was my first like start to finish game that I I pitched um, and you know was the game runner and delivered the delivered the whole thing, and that was there was no going back from there.
0: What a wild story. <laughs> <laughs> could not have predicted the leggings
2: (laughs) 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 and the leggings stuff is so much crazier anyway we don't have time time.
0: (laughs) i wanted like to ask on that first producing job where you (coughs) tricked them into believing you were a producer before Mm -hmm. what was the, the most valuable things you learned about producing in that job
2: oh man so many things i think like um what i always come back to is that i learned that it really doesn't matter ultimately like how many resources you have or like how cool your project is or how experienced you are. Like ultimately producing a game is, is just about understanding people, listening to people and, and figuring out what you need to do to give them the space to do what they do as best as possible. Um, and I look back on that and I see obviously, obviously there are so many things I would do differently now, but I see, myself kind of finding the part of making games is, that is still the most exciting to me which is like true difficult complicated collaboration and finding interesting ways to give people the opportunity to do like weird specific things that they the only they can do
0: this is a, this is a good segue to the next question yeah which you kind of answered but i want to ask both of you like how would you each of you define a producer's role because it feels like at least in game industry that role has different definitions, different studios.
1: Totally. It's it's I I've come to understand that as through just over the course of uh my time as a producer that like at any given place a producer is doing something potentially entirely different. Um especially between the indie and like double A triple A distinction, like a producer at a triple A studio might be like a highly specific like animation combat producer and like you're doing something like super um kind of uh specialized uh i think the role of a producer is ultimately the problem solver essentially Mm -hmm. like is is just is the person that facilitates the making of a game however how, whatever is needed for that, whether it's, you know, um, talent resources, whether it's, uh, you know, finding the right engine or finding the right, you know, middleware, finding, um, the right publishing partner or, um, you know, the, it, I, I think that it is, it is, you are the grand like facilitator of, of the project. Um, and it, but it, it really depends because I've, I've met a lot of other producers that are like, oh, I've never touched PR. And I'm like, I do all of our PR <laughs> um, or like don't have, you know, aren't aren't the tech kind of producer that are working with publishing partners or platform holders. Um, so it really it really does depend. But I feel like it is if you are the kind of person that can that can thrive in production and can thrive as a producer, then it is so transferable. Like the, you can, you are by nature, someone that can pick things up really quickly and figure things out. And because of that, you're like a strong kind of talent to be able to fill a lot of different niches. um, As long as you have that kind of, that backing, that foundation. I don't know. I think Ali, you have like a lot more production producer experience than me, so maybe you have a more defined. Mine is like very. <laughs> that's that's no, I think you're. So, I
2: think you're so right. Like you're just, you're just like the terminator for identifying problems. It's just, <laughs> yeah. all you do is just be like, mm, I don't think that's gonna work out, or this seems troubling to me, and just. <laughs> I think eventually, over time, you just develop kind of a toolkit of different ways to kind of look into your crystal ball and different methods to to avoid disaster and that yeah like you said depending on the studio and depending on the project exactly what you're doing can be so crazy different but mm-hmm. ultimately it is just make, get game done make game <laughs> make game complete goodbye <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> i had never worked with a producer an explicit producer in title until riot and we had a narrative producer which was incredible yes you have what Delphine, But like not she wasn't on Massive Chalice. Fine, continue. <laughs> um Melina's amazing. If you listen to this, Melina, I'm sorry I forgot. Um, <laughs> out. But uh I guess one of the things I like one of the things that comes to mind with my with my experience working with a producer is that one of their biggest roles that helped us was like they're just constantly kicking the tires of the process and seeing where they can streamline stuff or just like never be never accept like is our production good enough right now? because mm. <laughs> there's always mm-hmm. things you can fix or improve or just catch stuff that no one else is paying attention to because mm-hmm. everyone's so busy doing their own job?
2: yeah, it is endless in that way like over the last few years my in terms of like like the production side of my career has moved from being um the producer getting things done to being the person taking care of those producers and mm. the number one thing like the main conversation that I have with producers now is like where do you put your energy because producing is just endless. Like you can always be making everything better. And I think the the discipline kind of like self-selects towards people who have incredibly high standards and who are never satisfied <laughs> with what's so with anything, um, <laughs> which, you know, makes managing them a challenge <laughs> because, uh, it can also be very difficult to quantify. Like you would think that it's the kind of job that has really clear metrics, like a game is on track or game is off track. But then like anyone who's ever worked on a game can tell you it's very difficult to quantify what on track means. <laughs> um, and and thus, you know, the work of a producer can be incredibly hard to quantify and, and hard to uh, point to and say, okay, well, that's what I achieved this week. So mm-hmm. it's quite tricky in that way.
0: What's the hardest part about being a producer for both of you?
2: I think for me, it's um, because the nature of the job is problem solving. Sometimes it feels like if you're not in the right headspace, it it can just feel like nothing is ever good (laughs) because it's always, you're always dealing with, uh, you're always dealing with whatever the next challenge is. And even if there are no short-term problems, okay, then now it's time to think about the long-term problems. And so it can be very hard to have like, and a nice chill time. <laughs> and I think that uh, particularly if you're the only producer on a team, um, you're doing a lot of work that a lot of people don't understand. Um, and so it can be also be hard to have kind of uh, companionship in your work. Mm-hmm. So it can be a bit lonely sometimes. Yeah, I definitely relate. I, I think my first instinct
1: was s- somewhere along those lines of like not freezing when you have, like, this giant mountain in front of you Mm -hmm. and just not getting too stuck in seeing everything. Like, if I were to, like, write down every thing, like, every, you know, material thing I did or, like, any... It's, like, it's completely overwhelming. But staying in the moment while also maintaining foresight as to like what's coming next and, and being ready for like ready for anything. Um, I think my hardest moments as a producer have been when I just feel like, Oh my God, like how, how am I going to get on? Like, how are we going to get to the other side of this, mm-hmm. this phase or this period? And this is just like so much at once. Like how can it be possible? And you do like you just, you pass through it and, um, But there is that like moment of terror. Moment of terror. It's like a fight or flight kind of thing. Uh, Sometimes when you look at your your Jira or whatever you know tracking software, you look at your like to do list for, and I'm just like, oh my god! Like, how is this? How is this humanly possible? (laughs) And it's also hard to like know when to log off, like know when to put your work aside because it's a never ending. There's always something that you could be honing or refining it's hard to create to maintain balance especially when you're in the thick of production when you're in the thick of development it's it can be tough to like create that separation of work and life yeah.
0: <laughs> do you have any go-to strategies either of you when you get overwhelmed like that or like when you have like the, the deer in the headlights of like what's coming ahead of you mm-hmm
2: yeah, I think for me, like one of my old bosses told me once that I was having like a freak out about something, uh, you know, <laughs> so out of character. And he <laughs> he just said, "Is everyone on the team doing something right now?" I was like, "Yes." He was like, "That is all that matters. Like, all that matters is everyone is actively working on getting the game done." And mm. yes, there are a million different ways to do that. And yes, we can discuss like is everything prioritized correctly or you get through this workload but ultimately all that matters is everyone is doing the next sensible thing to get the thing done and as long as that is happening there's no need to panic you can figure you can slow down take a breath and figure out what your next steps are um there's a method that i really like that comes from like a design thinking model um which is called the triple diamond i don't know if any of you have seen that before no no i've uh, it's it's actually sick um, <laughs> <so> it's, like, <laughs> it's like a it's like a visual it's like a, it's a great thing to describe on a podcast because it's, so <laughs> um, it's like it's you know what a diamond looks like right so it's like three of them um <laughs> next to each other <laughs> 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 the, the idea is that like the process of creating like a game or like a piece of software is is a constant process of divergence and convergence and so yeah. you you kind of zoom out all the way um, and you use it to map out your project so like okay in order to get to vertical slice we're probably going to have to diverge pretty far in like explore all of our ideas think about you know to defining our art direction, think about the music, think about the, you know, everything, every aspect of the game. And that's going to require us to, to diverge really far from what we think like the plan might be. Um, and then at some point in order to deliver that on time, we're going to have to converge really quickly. Um, and then, you know, you repeat that cycle over and over again, basically with every phase of like iteration and exploration of the project. Um, and what I like to do is like map that triple diamond out across the timeline of the project that I have so that um, and I call it like the oh no and the oh okay
0: (laughs) phases of the project (laughs) so that
2: (laughs) if I'm freaking out and then I look at my roadmap with my diamonds over the top of it (laughs) I sound like correlative with my diamonds (laughs) um, and
0: and then um,
2: I can see that Oh no, actually it makes sense that I'm freaking out right now because like we're in a phase where we should be diverging. So it makes sense that it feels like things are out of control and I feel like I don't understand really? how all these loose ends are going to come together. But if I'm freaking out and really we should be in a convergence phase, then I know I should be freaking out and I should start freaking out with other people and <laughs> we should <get> together <laughs> and talk about how we're going to fix this problem. But it's good to know, I think over time, like when you work on enough games that these patterns emerge across every project of divergence and convergence. And if you start to like familiarize yourself with them, then it's not quite so scary unless it actually needs to be scary. That is such a great
1: practical. I'm like taking that home with me tonight. I'm like, I'm like Monday morning, I'm going to draw some diamonds on on my, on my notepad. Yeah.
0: I'm
1: surprised um, I've never heard of that. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes so much sense that, that, that totally, that totally works.
0: Was your how do you handle without diamonds then? How were you handling it?
1: Like <laughs> um, meditation. <laughs> like I, I, I honestly feel like for me, when I'm at my worst, when everything, when I'm just like holding too much in my head, and I need, and it's, and I don't have it, like so, I'll just like word vomit like everything out onto a piece of paper or like just everything. It's like get back to this email it, all the way to like how are we structuring this phase of, of our prototype or whatever. And I'll just like have it all on paper and then I take it into like my productivity software and I'll break it down into like tan- like tangible tasks that I can – just approach um, uh, one by one. And it feels, when I feel like my thoughts are or- organized, everything feels easier. And and genuinely meditation is super helpful for just like clearing the noise and just being able to settle into a focus. Um, so when I'm doing, I'm not always consistent with it, but when I am consistent with, Doing meditation, it is super – it is, like, night and day. Uh, I think everyone should do it. I think everyone should find a meditation practice. I was, like, a meditation hater, I should (laughs) say, first of all. Why? Because I was just, like, I We can bleep that out for you if you (laughs) want. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like – I just thought it was, like, not for me. I'm, like, too – like I'm too overstimulated. It. Yeah. Like I don't chill. I'm not like, I mean, I chill, but I'm, I don't, I can't like clear my head or whatever. And the type of meditation I practice is transcendental meditation. So. Oh, you're a
0: David Lynch person. <laughs> yeah,
1: I actually did it at the David Lynch Institute. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was man. really cool. Was he there? No, he wasn't, but there's like photos of like all the different like Hollywood people that have done it through that center. Um, and it like changed it totally changed my life. I was like, "Oh, I see why now. I get it. Like I get why this works for so many people and it like changes people's lives um because it is yeah, it just it like it is like a mind body uh convergence that just um it it only helps you basically.
0: Max, put a link to this in the show. I will. So our listeners. <laughs> I'm going to see if we can get them to sponsor us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be really cool. But I think it's great. I think it's great for, like, every – like, I think it's great for creatives. I think it's great for producers. I think it's great for anyone who has to think cre- – like, I think producers have to think creatively all the time. Like, we are always problem-solving and using the creative side of our brains for um, – for uh just the way we work and i think that tm really nourishes that that creative impulse and that creative spark for someone so when i'm doing that consistently which is not now which is probably why i feel so foggy like i like i'm in the like yeah the chaos the brain is in chaos mode but you know it's the weekend it's okay monday will come around and I'll do my diamonds and my TM, and it'll all be sorted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is your productivity software of choice? Um,
1: So I – it's funny. Immortality, we did – like we used Trello pretty much. Uh And then that was like – so it wasn't as – wasn't very like ta- it was I mean it's task oriented but not in the way now i'm I'm experimenting with Gantt Pro, uh, which is like the opposite of Trello. It's like super kind of itemized and and uh, it's basically just like a like a just super uh technical like Gantt chart maker
0: so it's not like Kanban style like Trello
1: No, not okay. at all. Yeah, it's like uh it's like all kind of tasks and you can create interdependencies between everything, but it makes so much sense for our next project and and how we're developing this versus how we developed immortality. I think immortality was such a so much of my time was spent uh on creative and it like there's a part of that production that just felt like We were, I mean, we were literally just making movies at one point. So there, it felt like a lot more natural, whereas on this project, I feel the need to be a lot more on top of tracking. Whereas in the last project, it felt like everything was kind of uh, intuitive the way that like we problem solved and stuff like that. Um, And then we use like JIRA for, for bugs and, and, um, uh, But I just, I tried using a sauna recently and then we just, the sauna wasn't working for
0: us. And now we're. The interdependencies you were saying sounds like Airtable.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like an air, it's kind of, it's got an Airtable vibe to it. I I would say it's like a less colorful Airtable. Although it has like rainbows, rainbows sometimes when you complete a task and stuff, (laughs) which I like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's great for like if you have a lot of, interdependencies and especially like across you can kind of do it across pillars so if a pillar is in, interacting with I'm writing an, this down <laughs> yeah it's it's cool it has a free trial it's like a two week free free trial i think uh, i'm still in the free trial so I'm, I'm very much like just sort of testing it out but it it makes so much sense for the organization of development like it just works I always felt like with Asana and with other softwares I'm like fight there's always like one thing that I'm like if I could just like make a subtask in this way that I really want to make a sub or you know or like if I could just one of the best things about Pro is if you change um, the duration of a task it'll shift every all the other dependencies uh, automated Which Asana does not do at all. And that like drove me nuts. I was like, how are you going to like let me build out a timeline? And then if I change something in phase A, it's not going to affect. B through F or whatever. Like how is that a functional Science thing?
0: just like that's no big problem. Yeah, they're like, yeah. Cuz no game ever in development ever changes something halfway through when they plan instantly and they Exactly. Yeah. We and are yeah. All, we Famously, just, you know, we... yeah.
2: you map it out and then you just build it. It's yeah, that's yeah. how it usually
0: works. Yeah. I can't believe I'm at a stage in my life where like I'm excited by a software that like, oh yeah, they slide the timelines for you. That's great. I love
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things that bring us joy. I'm Ali. curious what Ali, Ali yeah. what what productivity software you use. I like this is like such a fascinating question.
0: Gemstones now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's mostly like a divination practice. No. Um, <laughs> we I'm working on a few games at the moment and they're all being tracked in different ways. So like at, at League of Geeks we use uh Jira. Um nice. and that is good, like, because Log is a pretty large company, like there's 70, around 70 people. Um, and so you need something, like, that's quite beefy like Jira. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Jira is not perfect, but it is very customizable. So um, we can sort of bend it to our will. We have a lot of, like, custom workflows and automations and stuff to make things work in a very distinct way for the two teams and the two games and the way that they work. Um, and I'm also, yeah, working on a project that is using trello at the moment it's been a long time since i used trello like properly for a a, like a full scale production and i'm actually really enjoying it it's a much smaller team there's like seven of us working on that one um Mm -hmm. and so trello is fine because it's at a scale that it's manageable but i do find like we we i find myself bumping up against things that i wish were easier or more intuitive in trello like tracking towards like an epic we're tracking towards like a milestone. Um yeah. is quite hard without using a bunch of customized power ups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and then on mystiques we're using Notion, which rules oh, cool. actually. Um I've I'm loving using Notion. Uh it's just so it's so much beefier than I thought it was. Um but it's also really accessible and like visually really nice. Most of our team on Mystiques so, are like creative creatives or come from like an artistic background and so one of the things I've found over the years is like no matter how hard you try like you can just never make an artist like using JIRA <laughs> so, yeah, so um, true. <laughs> notion's really nice in that way we can make it really visual um and because I'm also using notion for writing the game it all just kind of fits in really yeah. nicely together
1: I've heard that like syne- like notion has a lot of synergy if you're doing if you're like doing a bunch of documentation in it too, like yeah. it, I've heard really good things about it. This is such a nerdy thing to be like fanning <laughs> out over like, what, is, what productivity software do y'all use? We just lost <laughs> half our subscribers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Well, I have some questions that I solicited by old producer at Riot, Stephanie Bedford. I miss you, Stephanie. Um, <laughs> and she wanted to ask, do either of you have any best practices for outlining interactive narratives or helping facilitate outlining?
2: I think it's different. Honestly, it's such an annoying answer, but I think it's different depending on the team and depending on the like nature and scale of the project. But um, probably my favorite process that I've been through was working on Rumu, um, which is crazy. Cause it's like the first narrative game that I worked on, but I do look back on it really fondly um, where we had like a a room at the back of our studio that was like entirely lined with whiteboards (laughs) and we had the whole team come in and, um, obviously I'd worked with our writer ahead of time to kind of have a rough sketch of the, of the outline, but we put it all up. Um, on the whiteboards all around the room. So like the story was kind of wrapping around us and then the team all brought in like their own sketches and ideas and like concept art that they'd done or like just random conversations that we'd had that we had this like quote star in the office that people would just like write down things that people said and put it in there. And we like brought in the quote star and like pulled out post-it notes out of it. And it was this like big collaborative collaging process um, that really transformed... The structure of the narrative in a way that I have am yet to experience again on another project. Um, and that room kind of stayed that way throughout the entire production of the game. We would go in and change things and move things around. Um, it was quite a like democratic team. So, like, it wasn't just me standing up and saying, this is how the game is going to be. Like other people on the team would get up and say, I'm really worried that like, we're not actually thinking through the implications of like how we're exploring this particular theme. Mm. And they would get up and they would like walk us through the room and be like, see, I'm worried about how like this, and then they'd walk up to the other corner and be like, you know, it has some kind of impact on this in a way that we haven't really like explored. And by the time we shipped the game, that room was traumatizing <laughs> to go into. But um, there, I think there's something to be said for, seeing it all, um, in a very like cross disciplinary way. Um, and I've seen like the team that, uh, made thirsty suitors, they have mm. a crazy mirror board that is very reminiscent of that whiteboard room to me that, you know, similarly contains input from all all aspects of the team and sort of shows how, not just what the, um, like pure narrative outline is, but how they plan to achieve it together.
0: We might be having the thirsty suitors people on soon oh that's awesome you so can ask about they're so
2: that good. they're
0: <laughs> awesome it will be it's not like a bite yeah <laughs> i didn't like to... fine you confirm it to the fans <laughs> uh what about you Dan?
1: um yeah i mean so on immortality we we only had uh like a month in person with each other before the pandemic happened. So when we were together for that month, we, we had kind of a similar, that's when, when um, I was kind of tasked with like breaking uh, Ambrosio out and like basically kind of creating a treatment out of the book that the adaptation um was, or that we based the adaptation on called the monk. So we had like a, a whole it was like the inner the interactivity of immortality was so much more like a, a tr- like trusted process yeah. um, like it's not scripted it's not we we have no idea how you're going to interact with it so what we really built out was the story itself in sort of chrono- chronological order um, both within the movie and outside of, in the making of the movie. Um, so that was first done sort of through white, through whiteboarding and a lot of index cards on, on walls. And then when we entered, uh, the pandemic era, um, which, you know, hasn't necessarily left us. <laughs> um, but, uh, we, Sam is, si- I love working with Sam because he is a very production-minded designer and a very, like, he has, like, a producer's brain when he approaches his design and process. So he's a huge spreadsheets guy. So, like, all of Immortality was basically built in a Google Sheet, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, Like, the whole narrative uh, from the first scene to the very last one. So... From there, we could kind of see um, how where the through lines were. He had like all these different columns for like, where is Marissa in her journey? Like, where are we in the movie making of Ambrosia? What's going wrong on set or what's going right or all these kinds of things. So we had like a very strong, beefy visual, um, uh, like outline of absolutely everything. And then as we started. After video production and as we were putting the footage into the game and Sam and I were kind of figuring out what's going to be clickable, like how are these things going to link? Then we could see like where clusters kind of formed of like, oh, we have this many scenes across these three movies that have, um, you know, an apple in it. And that's where we could kind of start to see like maybe some of the pathways that people would find their way through ambrosia uh through immortality um but it was a very much it was like yeah it was completely non-scripted so it was kind of an, 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 an i don't have an answer for you um that's kind of how we did it and now we're on the next project um which is uh also interactive There's some uh, scripts are being written. Um, in this one, it's I it, for the first time I feel like, oh no, I'm seeing kind of where where branching might happen or, or those kinds of things. and that's all being built in Google sheets that's uh, so we have kind of all of our matrices um, in that uh, which is very cool. I I I like it. it. It it's a very organized way to look at things. Um but it's just a it's a very much like once once you experience it then you'll you'll feel it. But right now we're in the like looking at it logistically sta- like place, yeah. which
2: is that's really- the best that's the best place. <laughs> it's a good place. Like uh, early on when it's like anything is possible and everything feels like it has like some kind of direction. It's yeah. so nice. Yeah. We're we're I'm
1: honeymooning right now for sure. I'm like we're like who could this character be? Like we're we're very much having uh yeah, in the in the very early stages of our next thing. So it's a, fun, it's a fun place to be in. I love that. I'm
2: happy for
0: you. <laughs> it sounds like don't fall into the trap, though, of some teams where it's like they're in permanent honeymoon status where, like, we just, just keep idea, like generating ideas, like, never committing to oh, anything. Oh, for sure. Is, you have to
2: converge. That's yeah. why you have a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the diamond comes in.
1: Yeah, no, Sam is very, like, specific, like, the game. the game that he pitches on, like, day zero is the game that we end up making. Like, we don't really break out of that just he has like such a an ability for um just having the whole thing in his head and and trusting that it is going to work and mm-hmm. it that worked with immortality so i'm i think you know we'll be able to do it again um but yeah we've never re- like the game that he told me about when we had lunch together in brooklyn three and a half years ago was the game that we shipped to To the T, so it was uh, it was cool. It, it felt like this very true to form manifestation. Not saying that like I mean, on set there was like lots of places where we had to diverge and had to like make concessions or or change the or not really change things because if you change, you, we couldn't change anything about the script because the script had to be it was like balanced across these, you know, almost 300 scenes. So we couldn't lose like an actor from a scene if they, you know, uh, couldn't be scheduled that day. Like that was just non-negotiable. So it was kind of like very strict. Like we had, like we knew what we had to have and what we, and we, what we could not lose. And because of that, It almost had, we had this, like, kind of non-negotiable, like, oh, we just have to, we just have to, it has to work. We have to figure out how to make it work. And we did, so. Did you have to do, like,
2: a lot of reshoots or anything?
1: No, we didn't reshoot anything. We That's so crazy. It was wild. It was, it was, it was totally, we thought we had escaped COVID, so we were going to start shooting, um, in summer of 20 we started shooting in summer 2021 because it was like the vaccines were out it was like oh we're back (laughs) like we're so (laughs) back um and then the week we started filming was the week the delta variant hit la and it was the worst experience i I do not make movies in pandemics it sucks um (laughs) But yeah, so we didn't have any reshoots. We we made we didn't drop a scene like every single scene that we set out to shoot, we shot. Um, and uh, Is that just because we planned
0: so
1: well. Yeah, I honestly think that's what like, you're gonna say. <laughs> no, I mean, n- I not not just me. I think Sam, like the whole crew, the crew that we worked with. Some of them worked with Sam on telling lies. Some of the like uh, the uh, director of photography. Doug Potts, um, shot Telling Lies. So he came back for this. And one of the producers, one of the line producers on Telling Lies came back for Im- Immortality as well. And But the, across the whole film crew, like all of the department heads were like, Sam is the most prepared director I've ever worked with. Like he knows exactly what he wants. And it's because he approaches film like with a game designer's mentality of like, oh, I, mm. you know, I see the whole level, quote unquote, and I know exactly what pieces we need and what mechanics are we we need to make this happen. So we he had every scene like totally mapped out, and there were like lots of room beyond lots of room for like those department heads uh, to have their own creative, you know. Uh, takes on things like especially our wardrobe uh had carrie Carrie Hennessy was like incredible and like took like every single person took kind of like the premise and just like manifested the most unreal beyond our expectations like uh, uh vision of it like uh so that was uh but it, he is just like in, incredibly a prepared and like he thinks everything through. So it made the shoot really easy because we knew exactly what we were doing and knew exactly what the shot was gonna look like and where the camera was gonna be, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm.
2: So it's just that feels so appealing. Like (laughs) 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 even just the idea of like capturing your content in a way that they're you know, in games that when everything is made in engine. There mm-hmm. is just like limitless possibility for just going back and redoing and gold plating absolutely every tiny thing in the game. Yeah. And the, the idea that you have, you know, I'm like, isn't the the concept of filmmaking so cool? Uh, but the idea that like <laughs> <laughs> the idea that you, you you you've got it, you know, like yeah. you have captured it and and now make game work and there's it's- no opportunity to go back and redo things. I think is, is so appealing.
1: Yeah, it's very like, it's freeing in its own way because yeah, it's just like, well, this is what we have. So we've got to work with it. Yeah. And n- now on this next, on the, this m- project we're working on right now, it's a, it's kind of Sam's return to like a 3D action game. So it's a yeah. non movie game. So I kind of feel like I'm back at like where I was three and a half years ago. I'm like, I have no idea like wow. really what I'm what I'm doing here. Um I have no idea like w- what you're describing, Ali, like the idea of going back and refining, refining and finding stuff in engine. Uh, I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably gonna happen. That'll probably be like a new <laughs> sort of thing I have to start thinking about. So um yeah, I feel like I'm kind of like at the beginning of a uh, a totally new I mean there's some things I will carry over, of course, but I do feel like I'm like kind of like oh, we'll see, we'll see what's next. I don't really that's so, know. That's cool. <laughs> so, so special, and so exciting. I'm scared, <laughs> but I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> uh, I want to ask one another Steph question. Sure. Do you have any tips and tricks for frameworks you've m- used in making plans, and how do you effectively communicate this info to the team to help bridge design with narrative? Mm. Mm.
1: Sounds like Sam does a lot of that work. Yeah, Sam. <laughs> With the <laughs> spreadsheets and such, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, when everything is so clearly mapped out in the way that we did Immortality, every, any department could look... We had this thing called the Organizing Monster, which was this... Um, <laughs> Literal monster.
0: <laughs> which was this, <laughs> little, <laughs> little, <laughs> this
1: little gremlin that would sit on set and yell at us. Um, no, that was my job to to tell everyone what day we were on and what timeline and everything um I was so the gremlin, the gremlin. <laughs> yeah, I was the gremlin <laughs> I was the time gremlin um no, but any i mean any department head or anyone on the crew had access uh uh to this sort of like mega document that would just tell you exactly what you needed to know for any given scene, like what what fictional day we're shooting this what what position we are in Marissa's story what position we are in 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 the making up so this was just like a mega reference sheet and then my my role was really to make sure that everyone was on the same page and if they had any questions and like didn't have access to Sam um on set that I would be able to speak to where we were and because I had been working with the script for a, a year and a half at that point I like knew it so well that I could kind of just have a bunch of stuff in my brain already from the get go, which for I mean the crew did an amazing job digesting like a four hundred page script in a month and making in us and then shooting a you know two and a half month production out of it. So it was um but yeah, I think that uh just having some sort of like center of reference um is so invaluable. I think that's what, like, attracts me so Uh, is so attractive about Notion. It's the idea that it's, like, the center of documentation where, like, mm-hmm. anyone can just, like, if they have a question... I mean, documentation is really, like, the answer to all of this. Is like, if you're keeping track of, like, how you're approaching things and all, all your thoughts and um, where decisions are made and those kinds of things, and new people can have that as a resource um, that is like just the most invaluable thing. I think if you're like creating a wiki for yourself as you're kind of going along um, and then in the future to have that to refer back to like we did postmortems for immortality and stuff. And that has been super useful in looking at our next project and you know, what we want to do differently, what really worked. Um, So I think like documentation is kind of the, the, Mm-hmm. simple but like and it's the thing that like gets left behind i think a lot, especially on small i can only speak for my experience but when you're in the throes of it it's hard to like keep track maintain of, it yeah it's super it's super difficult so um i think that's
0: probably my... i don't know if this struggle for smaller studios do you struggle with getting people to read documentation because we struggle
1: with it <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um I mean, not really. It's interesting because I'm we're on the cusp of uh, onboarding our, our first like new hire in a really long time, um, and then we have plans for a bunch of new hires in the future. So I'll get back to you in a few in a few months, and I'll let you know. But so far, it's been, I think, Sam. Like in a way, Sam's stories are just so engaging that you kind of want to get the full picture like you want to really any of the sort of uh crew members or even like some of the external teams that we worked with when we'd kind of onboard them like we we went through the whole story together and like talked through all the sort of major beats and i think having that narrative context even if your job is like you're on our You know specific platform porting team or you're uh a carpenter on set like that narrative context is the thing that grounds us all together um and so that's like i think the through line that that keeps everyone glued
2: yeah i do think like you can have incredible documentation and you can be incredibly um like disciplined with keeping it up to date and it can mm-hmm. be easy to access and it can be beautiful but like there's there's so much to be said for the social aspect of that like mm-hmm. being some people just don't have the riz to get someone to read <laughs> documentation you know <laughs> like, and so, so there's true a, there's a huge you could really feel the difference when like someone is engaging with the team in a way where they're actually really interested in reading what this person has prepared. Like I'm working mm-hmm. on a game at the moment called Solium Infernum, which is like a a a grand strategy, a political grand strategy game set in hell. And it's That's sick. It, <laughs> it, That's so cool. Let me tell you, it fucking <laughs> rules. Um, <laughs> and I don't say that about every game that I work on, but so, Solium is sick. Um but it's It's a remake. Well, it's a reimagining of um, a game that was made by one guy um, and was sort of a cult classic with a like intense um, following. And the, our game director, Ty Carey. It was one of his favorite games, was a huge inspiration for um, like the game that founded the studio that I work at, League of Geeks. Like Armello, Solium was like a big influence. The original Solium was a big influence on that game. Um, and Ty and Vic Davis, the original creator, they um, kind of became like pen pals because Ty was such a big fan of the original game. Um, and develop this friendship. And then eventually Ty was like, Can I like make your game? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> amazingly, Dick was like, I've been waiting for you to ask. Yes, please. Wow.
1: Um,
2: so it's, a, but it's because it is, comes from the mind of like one brilliant person. It's incredibly complex. Um, that it's not structured in a way that like a, a grand strategy game would traditionally be structured. There are a lot of like, Um, secret little sneaky rules and because it's political it's all about kind of um, there's it's all about deception and nothing is ever as it seems um, which makes it a very difficult game to produce because Mm. um, nothing is ever as it seems in the development either (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and so it's one of those games where like documentation is actually incredibly important because um, the systems don't reveal themselves to you just by playing the game you really have to understand the intent and the inner workings of every decision that not only that Vic made in the original game but that in our that our design team have had to make in reimagining the game um, and we're incredibly fortunate that not only ty is like obviously such a passionate believer in this game and it's been such a big part of his life for so long that every time he talks about it um, the team want to listen mm. but that we also have designers who um are incredibly engaging in the way that they talk about all of the minutiae of of the political strategies within the game and manage to make it like accessible to everyone on the team um and i think that makes a huge huge difference in bridging the gap that can sometimes um yeah a lot of people can fall down the cracks of like uh, I'm not going to spend half of my day reading this Confluence page. Pl- page, please just like tell me how this <laughs> thing should work. <laughs>
0: mm.
2: well,
1: they should read it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like having a little book club on your documentation is like a good, <laughs> a good way around it. Like, let's all like chat about. It. Let's chat through. I mean, sometimes that can help inspire uh, a desire to go back for more. But I, I get. It. I, I mean, I think there's such a desire to be as efficient as possible in game development. Like I mm-hmm. no wasted time, like only efficiency, go, go, go. And it's like, Oh, I think one of the things that we're very lucky to do with, uh, at our, our, at half mermaid is be very indulgent and like take our time with things and like s- the settle into <laughs> settle into something and just like really get to process it and spend a lot of time, especially in, in, pre-development, just like getting to know what we are going to set out to do, just like really refining our sort of plan before we, we really get into it. Um, I think that's so important is just to like, take a breath and like, remember why we're
2: making this thing. Um, I think that really shows in the games, like they, they're confident games. And I think that really comes from really having that time to sit with something.
1: I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> Which soft skills do you both you think help the most in your work?
1: Riz, like I, <laughs> I mean, like Ali, when you said that, I was like, oh my god, that is like so true. Like it, honestly, like being able to talk to people and like ha- and have them feel like they can come to you about what's going, you know, whatever you know challenge they have in front of them, or and being able to communicate across you know i'm not a programmer but if i feel like i can communicate with my with a programmer that i'm working with um that's key that's essential like you have to be able to talk and i think develop like people feel motivated when they feel like they're connected to something and i feel like camaraderie especially when in working from home now that we're like, a lot of us are working remotely, um, half mermaid is a fully remote team. I feel like just having relationships, like maintaining, you know, your work relationships across your team and externally is so, so important for keeping people kind of bonded. Um, I feel like, yeah, charisma is a huge, huge, soft skill that I think is kind of not as, thought of maybe but you got to have the riz. Have, you always been good at it? <laughs> have I always been good at it uh,
0: if not how would you get good
1: at it how would i get good at talking to people i don't know you got to go outside <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think that uh, i don't i don't i wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a very extroverted person but i i like making connections like i i love like meeting someone new and like having like a great connection and just identifying with that, like, you know, just having like something that feels special. Like I think of the spark of a new connection is like such a wonderful human thing that is, uh, so unique to our experience or our experience on this earth. Um, how to get better at it. I mean, it, it It is hard because like there's times where I don't feel confident at all, like going into, I don't know, like a pitch meeting and with the potential, you know, publishing partner or something. And I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I don't like I don't feel good about like I don't feel confident right now or I don't feel great. And I think it's just like be like be yourself as much, you know, just try and find like a common ground somewhere that like connects you with the person that you're talking to and I feel like that eases the tension a little bit like allows you to let your guard down and like and have like a notepad with things that you want to say like a lot of the times if I'm going into a meeting I'll have like a little agenda you know sort of thing on the side that's that's even like I want to make sure that like I you know chat about how everyone's weekends went and I want to make sure that you know and I want to make sure that we talk about this deadline we have coming up like let's make sure we talk but just having whatever kind of help aid you need to be able to like get to the points that you want to talk to I feel like that's something that is easily lost is like having a meeting with someone to be like "Oh, we just like wasted all that time because I didn't get to any of the things I wanted to talk to towards and maybe they didn't get the chance either to speak to the things they want to so I think like being really vocal about like expectations and wants like entering a, a meeting or something with someone and saying like, hey, these are like some of the things I want to talk about today Is or anything like you want to flag before we begin that you want to get to. I, I don't know. Like I think just like sometimes as like almost over communication is 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 very helpful but you also have to know when to like just leave people alone and let them go work (laughs) like go do the things that you keep talking about Um, I think
2: you nailed it with like it's a it's about (laughs) expectation setting like being really clear about what you're expecting and and that is not the same as demanding something from people but it's like I think when I think I've had many you know, traumatic experiences making games. And I think most (laughs) of them have come down to crossed wires and unclear Mm. expectations between people. And I think most people do not get into video games to, like, make a bunch of money or, like, to... um, uh, For any reasons other than, like, they really care about making games and they want to make a good game. Mm -hmm. And so whenever things go wrong between we wanted to make a good game and like now everyone is upset and things are not going well. That's like, aside from capitalism, like it's usually something (laughs) to do with unclear expectations. And so finding a way to express your expectations in a way that feels like authentic to who you are, I think is probably the most valuable thing you can do to like get better at communicating with people that you work with. So for me, um, a lot of my career has been kind of being dropped into teams who are having a not great time and trying to, like, fix things. I've, like, spent the last, um like, few years of my career being a bit of a fixer, which I really enjoy because I like helping people. Um, and one of the, like, really um, straightforward ways that I do expectation setting is I literally have an expectation setting survey <laughs> that I send out to people. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, when I start working with a new team that's, like, what do you think a producer is um, like, what do you, what would you like from me? If, if you, there's like an exercise called like a, a good day. That's like, what would a good day look like working together? How would you feel? Uh, what kind of conversations would we have? And then then you say, okay, what would a good week look like? What would a good sprint look like? What would a good milestone look like? What would a good year look like working together? And it, it's like a nice framework to understand what people want from you and also what they're willing to give you in return to, to get the thing that they want. Um, and usually I'll survey like the whole team. Um, and then I'll turn that into like a little chart. That's like, uh, I give you this and in return, <laughs> I need this. <laughs> like, for example, um, you know, if I send you an agenda for a meeting that has things that, you need to have prepared in advance um then you need to provide that if if one of the things you want is like short efficient meetings and more time to focus on the stuff that you want to do mm. um and just kind of stepping that out and, and laying it out really clearly especially if you're working with teams that have a, a lot more like junior developers uh which has been my experience recently uh just because people would often don't tell them that stuff. They just expect them to be like professionalized and come into a, a team knowing how to be. And I don't know about you, but like I've never once known how to be in my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you had me fooled. <laughs> 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 That's
2: so true. Yeah.
1: Nobody like tells you how to like be a part of a team. Like it just, is. Yeah. it's like a lot of these, the way that you're talking about like stepping things out is like it. it's, it's so critical. And even though it's like, it, it could come off as like, oh, isn't this like, um, like meticulous? Like, aren't you like getting like, too, like a little into the weeds about, but it is like that clarity is so invaluable. I think. I, yeah. that's, that's,
2: and it's not, it's not intended to like create structures that then we're, we cannot move outside of, but it's like right. when you have clear expectations and then when you have to work, in a way that's different to those expectations, that's fine. It just means that you're clearer about when you're like, when you need to have a conversation that's like, Mm. Oh, this is going to be different to what you expect. So let's talk about how you feel about that and figure out how we make it as least uncomfortable as possible.
0: Is it the same survey you sent to every studio?
2: Um, It's a little bit different depending on the team. Like um, if it's a more junior team, I will be really clear in my questions. Like, um, you know, for example, this is what, these are the kinds of things I would be thinking to, uh, to provide you in a sprint. Does that sound good to you? Whereas like when it, when I've come into a much more senior team, um, you know, extremely experienced veteran developers would not respond super well to me explaining stuff like that to them. <laughs> so so it, it can be a more of an informal conversation, um, or just like a shorter survey, um, with the intent of them spending like 30 seconds on it just so that I can catch any like massive outliers to what I was expecting. Um, and that does happen quite a bit, particularly with people who are those like veterans who have a really established way of working. Um, it's really important, I think to have the uncomfortable, like potentially, um, risky, like infantilizing condescending conversation about like, what do you think a producer is? Um, it's, that's a hard conversation to have with somebody who's very, very experienced, but mm-hmm. I think it's really worth it because often, like the more experienced people are, the more they have a really specific idea of what they want and they're not always going to tell you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You don't have to. Can you send us one of these surveys that you see if we can put it in the show notes because these are great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can send it to
0: you. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, each episode we have our guests ask a question to our next episode's guests and our last one we had Jennifer Hale and Deborah Wilson uh, Jennifer asks what would you go back and tell yourself you're just starting out self based on what you know now if anyone hasn't listened to those, the episode uh, be prepared for the most insane energy <laughs> of well, well, I listened
2: to it and like dead ass I feel like it changed my life that was a crazy episode you guys didn't talk like the whole time
0: there's no reason to. They're just. It's just. They say a pearl of wisdom. and then The other person goes, "Oh my God, preach, woman!
2: <laughs> it's amazing." <laughs> Can I tell you my Jennifer Hale story before I answer this question? Yes. Jeez. Um, she was a guest at uh, this convention in Adelaide called AvCon, which is like a beautiful community-run event. Um, when I was doing cosplay work, and so we were both guests, and so we were both like in the green room at the same time. And I was a huge fan of her work, obviously. And I had brought because I made um I made like a femme chap suit of armor a long time ago, and so I bought like the the like pauldron piece of the armor, hoping that she would sign it. Uh, but I was uh, so shy and like so you, you, when you're in a green room, you never want to be the person that's like, "Can you sign my thing?" Because <laughs> um, you want you you know you just want to give them their space so that they chill out. So I was just hoping for the right moment to arise, and she literally like came into the room, looked me in the eye, like, from across the room, like, just in that beautiful, like, her, her face just, like, lit up with sunshine. She came over to me and asked me everything about my life, <laughs> like, <laughs> how my day was going, started talking to me about my family. Like, literally, this is the first time we're meeting, and she is, like, uh, she suddenly knows my entire life story, um, and then uh, she sees the armour sitting on the table and, it, like, gives just in the most generous way like creates the opportunity for me to ask the thing of her that she knows that I want and like signs it and is really like special and beautiful about it. Then like asks me to get my phone out so that we can take a photo together. That's so it's just cute. like incredibly generous, beautiful person anyway. So I love listening to that episode.
0: And that More like generous hail that was very close to how we met her in the first time too she had this exact same energy and then talked to us in a very sweet way she didn't have to yeah sorry i forgot what the question was (laughs) what would you go back and tell yourself you're just starting out self from what you know now
2: oh yeah um i would probably say that um i felt quite a lot of pressure early in my career to, like, know who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do Um, and to categorize myself and put myself into a specific, like, archetype of what I could see within the games industry. And, Mm -hmm. like, for me, that was kind of uh, this, like, corporate uh, diversity track thing that you can get put on as, like, a, you know, quote-unquote diverse person within the games industry. Um, And so I ended up putting like a huge amount of like free labor into doing a lot of things. Like I don't regret like programs and stuff that I think were really helpful and, and certainly like enriched my life in, in beautiful ways. But I think a lot of the stuff I was doing, I I was doing it out of like a sense of um, not feeling like there was any other option for me. Like, this is just the track that I'm on. And this is what I have to do in order to sort of fit in to a particular box. And, um, I went to a conference in New Zealand and um, Tim Schaefer was the keynote speaker and he talked about just thinking, instead thinking about your career as just moving towards uh, that which you love and moving towards the things that bring you the most joy. Um, and I know that that's not a concept that he invented, <laughs> but like <laughs> there was something about the way he said it and the timing in my life um, that kind of woke me up and reminded me, you know, I was talking at the start of this podcast about just sort of being like a weird art room kid. And I sort of looked at who I had become this like very professionalized, like corporate uh, product and realized like the dissonance between those two people and wanted to sort of find a way back to that, that kid in the art room. And uh, ever since then I've just sort of let go of the idea that, I have to be something and instead I'm just sort of doing the next most interesting thing, the thing that is making me happy or the thing that uh, is challenging me in a way that I didn't expect. And it's been like incredibly creatively fulfilling and uh, I feel way more like myself, which is really nice. So I would probably tell myself, um, don't worry about it, just like, just do your thing. A great answer. I love that.
1: That's so good. I feel like I would have been friends with you as an art art room kid. I feel like we <laughs> would have been friends. Um, I think I would tell myself to, like, trust my instincts and trust, like, that I am capable of what I'm doing. I think so much of my experiences across all three, well, For including GameStop, but you know GameStop was pretty straightforward. I kind of had 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 my head on straight for that one. Um, But for uh, for the next three sort of uh, eras of my games career, I think that each one had like a significant amount of unknown at the beginning of it and throughout it, even. Um, And I think just trusting that. I'm capable of the job that I'm doing. I'm like worthy of it. And, uh, not only like worthy of it, but like can excel at it. Like I, um, can, can do well at the thing that I like doing. Cause I think there's like such a self deprecative, like, Oh, I love this thing, but it is like, but like, am I like, you know, deserving of being here? Am I like, I'm, I love this thing so much, but I'm not like doing it well enough. Like that perfectionism is Mm. such a, it's like a very common trait, I think for, for producers and is something that helps a lot and, and definitely has like a, um, a place in, in kind of in our, in our role as like the facilitator, but it is also so, um, uh, That's the word I'm looking for. Like limiting it. Like if you are constantly thinking about how you could have done something better or like those kinds of like it just having a little bit of freedom to just trust that what you're doing is is good work. I think I would tell myself that more because I was I was really hard on myself, (laughs) Um, especially in the beginning. So I think, yeah, I think trust, trust that you're doing okay, kid. (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: everyone is hard on themselves in the beginning just because you don't know. It's either imposter syndrome or you just don't know better. Totally. It's only the really <laughs> untalented people who are extra confident. Yeah. They're doing. <laughs> it's true.
1: Or, yeah, yeah, people who, I mean, if you just you have that sort of swagger to, I mean, everyone's kind of faking it till they make it yeah. and what is making it even. So I think if you just, you know, have, you got to back you at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, no one is gonna back you as hard as you back you. And there's like a way to do that with a lot of humility and grace. Um but but being your your own best, you know, cheerleader, just like being your own best uh supporter, is going to carry you so far because
0: Or have an identical twin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, either one. That's a pass through. <laughs> yeah, where do you get one of those? Like n- in my life, like where? How do I just summon? Summon? Go back to your mom.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. I'll tell you her. offline how it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deborah asked, "How much of what you write, in this case we'll say produce, includes yourself, your journey, your story, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires, your purpose? How much of what you produce includes made a major part of yourself?" Mm-hmm.
2: I think the games that I worked on early in my career, definitely like they had my full soul in them and Mm. everything that I could give. And then as I got older and my life kind of opened up in different ways and like game development is not the only thing in my life now. Um, I give a more reasonable portion of my soul (laughs) Um, and that being said, you know, it also depends on the project. Like I, I sort of think of myself, maybe this is like a wanky thing to say, but I sort of think of myself as like a working game developer in the way that some actors mm. like think of themselves as working actors and that I have been so fortunate to have like never had a period of unemployment. I've always been working for a company of some kind, making some kind of game. Um, and I think that that has given me – um like a pretty healthy sense of separation between work and life. Uh, but that being said, um, you know, working on a game like Mystiques, which is like a writing and directing it. It's actually the first game that I'm not producing. I'm training another producer to do the producing for me, which is really nice. Um, but that game is totally going to ruin my life. Like that's my whole soul in there. There's no escaping that.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I think,
1: uh, you know, it's, and I mean, in at Waypoint, like my whole identity was like wrapped up in the work I was doing at Waypoint. That was so it felt like the most important work to be doing um, and that if I could just like contribute to making you know that website happen that that was like the the most important thing in the world. so, um, and then with immortality, it was interesting because it wasn't, you know, it's not my idea. It's, it's Sam's story. Um, and I had no, and I was kind of like, Oh, this is like the weird FMV thing that I'm going to do before I like we make a real game. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I say that with a lot of love. Um, and I completely fell in love with that story, those characters, the game itself over the course of that development. Um, and was able to like because I was, Uh, working so closely with Sam on the creative for the for a lot of it that you know we would have back and forths about specific characters and their trajectories and my feelings about certain things and I think like there's I see a lot of myself and a lot of my you know soul is is in that game and it's kind of crazy that it's over and I like don't know how it's like I don't know how I'll, I'll you know I don't know what I, what my relationship will be like to the next one by the end of it um, because I just fell so, so deeply hard for, um, for immortality. But, um, you know, I think that I, yeah, I think I like when I'm dedicated to something, I have to love it really hard and um, it's hard for me to like disengage. I'm getting better at that. Um, There are certain things that I'm like more comfortable with like letting go of um, and like just letting the process be the process. Um, But I think, yeah, I think, you know, I'm like anti-capitalism in the sense of like, like work is not your life. Like your life is your life and find things that you love outside of work because you shouldn't. Oh, your happiness to a job or a boss or a company or whatever um but also we are like making art and i think that there's that like that d- d- just comes from like the human place of love and like you have to for as small as a team as we are and for as, as much as i do on the game i like i just have to f- find a, a way to fall in love with the thing and i don't know where i will fall on these next things but i am so grateful for the relationship that i had with immortality and i hope that the next one manifests that for me too maybe we'll fall in love i don't know Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um
0: then what's a storytelling related question you'd like our next guest to answer
1: I had one that I was thinking about. Um, it's, it was kind of like what we talked about earlier with soft skills, but what's a skill that you find yourself continuing to develop and how do you hone that skill? But I think skill is less what I'm thinking about. It's more like, what is like, what is something you do for your storytelling that you continue to do? And like, how do you, like, is it like, is it journaling? Is it, you know, uh, uh, reading a lot of books and you like, like to create, like to kind of, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it could be, but I think, yeah. What is like, what is something that's like, not a productivity software or like a, you know, a system or like, what is something that I think that you feel bolsters your storytelling that you continue to attend to and how do you attend to it?
0: That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Allie, what do you got? Hmm.
2: Um, so I was talking to a, a developer from Melbourne the other day. His name is Johnny Galvatron. He made um, the Artful escape and oh, yeah yeah he rules and he was saying they have a concept in their studio Beethoven and Dinosaur which is called Skittles which is um like you know if you're going to if you think you're going to eat an M&M but then it's a Skittle that it like totally blows your mind like that's, that's that you're awesome. like that wasn't what I was expecting it's not that the Skittle is bad it's just that it's different to what I was expecting and now i need to like recalibrate to the fact that i'm eating a skittle
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
2: so, um, I'm, I'm curious, like, as from a storytelling point of view, um, when you're working as part of a creative team, especially if you're in any kind of like creative leadership position, how do you tell the difference between something that is a Skittle in that it's still good? It's just not what you were expecting versus like, no, that's actually an idea. That's totally outside the bounds of like what we're doing with this thing. And how to stay open-minded to the Skittles without uh, losing sight of your vision.
0: That is a really good question. That's
1: so good.
0: Oh man. I love okay. good questions. Okay. We probably could just wrap it up. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so that'll be the last of the questions. I think next we ask, <laughs> uh, where can people find you on the internet or what do you want to plug? So Natalie or Allie, go first, please. <laughs>
1: um. Wow. Where can you find anyone on the internet these days? This,
0: it's a load, We should find a way to rephrase that question. Cause it's a loaded question because some people don't want to be found on the internet.
1: That's yeah. true, <laughs> but it sucks. It's like, it's, we're all like, we've all been kind of spread across the lands of the, of the internet. It's a sad thing. I mean, I'm still mainly on Twitter um refused. To... I, I do not recognize no. not, not Don't even not, say the name. No. <laughs> um at Natalie Watson. And I guess I'm trying to think of what I have to plug. I'm playing Kotor right now on AMCA. Those are good episodes. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying Sorry. it. Um KOTOR is a really fucking interesting, good video game, even when it's fucking weird as hell. Uh, so maybe yeah, I'll plug that. I'll plug a more civilized age. Uh, it's a Star Wars podcast I do with Austin Walker, Ali Akampora, and Rob Zachney. And it's very silly. And I like it a lot. They're very smart.
0: Their Andor episodes were incredible. <laughs> yes. You want something easy to get into.
1: <laughs> Appreciate
2: it. Uh, yeah, I will plug my game Mystiques. Uh, it is at Mystique's Game, just on, like, whatever platform you can find us on. Uh, It's a game about, like, the four worst bitches you ever met running a failing antique store and um, developing a new business strategy of having psychic powers. So if you're into (laughs) any of that kind of vibe, I think you might like it. Uh, Please follow us. We're, like, pretty early development, and we are working on a demo right now, and we have some pretty cool stuff that we're posting. So... Follow us there. Um, I'll also plug Solium and once again. Um, if you can remember the name of the game,
0: then you can just Google it. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> also Mystiques is great. The script is really funny. I love
1: it. I can't oh, wait. You. I want to play this game so badly. It sounds Aww. so good Right for my brain right now. I want to play okay.
0: it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we will make it as fast as we can, I promise.
0: <laughs> and then I'll do the outro script first, but Today's episode was brought to you by Backlight Gem, the narrative management system for writers and narrative designers. Learn about how it can streamline, simplify your design and writing experience at gem.backlight.co. And our podcast music was done by Isabella Ness. Our artwork is done by Lily Nishida. And that is you it. You can find podcast. us on Twitter at ScriptLightCast. We are debating opening up another social media account, but we'll see what that happens. Uh, and sorry for taking so long to put out the episode. We're trying. We're just busy. We're gonna make a lot more still. Also, we're gonna plug Spider-Man Two. Just came out. Please play Spider-Man Two. It's a good game. We had a good time working on it. We're biased. It's good. <laughs> Love you. Narrative team is incredible. Yes. Uh, that's it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for both for coming on. This is great. It's so fun.
1: Thank you so much for having us. It was so fun to chat with you, Allie. Too. Just, this is awesome.